Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today from Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions is Mark Molina. Mark, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. This is really cool. We have had a lot of crossover. You do a podcast live interview uh, locally as well. And there's a lot of guests that we've kind of had. Chris Wig is the one that comes to mind that we both have had. A ton of mutual friends. You came on my radar fairly recently, and I wanted to reach out to have you as a guest because I think you're doing really awesome things. And I did not realize that you are so local. It's funny we're doing this on Zoom, but your business is on, is it 46th and Main in Springfield? Yes, sir. That's correct. I'm, I'm, I live, I'm not going to say the exact location, but, but I live real close to that. So we're basically neighbors. It's pretty interesting. So thanks again for doing this. This is really cool. Uh, we're here, like I mentioned before, to talk about Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. That's a word. That's a, a lot going on. <laughs> There's a lot going on. You know, I put it out to a lot of business people that I know. I even went to uh, a group of entrepreneurs that meet at Rain, and I ran by. I ran the business name by them. I ran my objectives by them, and they all were part of this process of selecting the name. So I. It's a mouthful for sure, but it gets a lot across. You know, there's a lot of, you do a lot of different things. It's a multi-pronged approach. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what it is, Uh, you know, your business model a little bit, uh, what kind of services you offer and whatnot. So I was in the army from 19 to 31. And when I exited military life, I didn't know anything about being a civilian. What the civilian world was like, what the civilian world does. I was completely indoctrinated, if that's the correct word, I, or I was used to functioning within a rather large control system. So upon exiting military in 1995, and I began to look for work, I heard repeatedly from the positions that I applied for, um, Mr. Molina, you have all the functional experience that we would want in a manager. You have all the real world capacities, training, communication. You just don't have a college degree. I never considered when I came here post-military life, I never considered there was the U of O or Oregon State, LCC, Lynn Benton, all these colleges that, and education is needful and it's credible, but real world experience is even more credible. Right. And I remember I was so upset. I was interviewed for some positions at Sacred Heart at the time for management positions. And I went through this entire elongated process to get to the very end 
And the gentleman looks across to me and he says, you know, Mr. Molina, you have everything we're looking for, for management. And the same story was, but you just don't have a college degree. And I remember getting so upset, Patty Rose, I looked at him and I said, I said, you can go get any 21 year old fresh out of college. And I said, I will work his damn ass into the ground because I know about timelines, conflict management, conflict resolution, just started really explaining all of this. And he said, I'd really, I really want all of those gifts here, but you just don't have a college degree. So that tells us you're not intellectually prepared to work for our organization. Right. So I ended up taking a position, a gentleman who had been in the Air Force that owned his own HVAC company ended up hiring me as an administrative assistant. And he said, okay, Mark, you, you're going to not only answer the phone, schedule all the salesman's appointments, type up all the bids, but you're going to be the backup dispatcher. And I found out from all that pressure you're under in the military, Patty, that I was able to just thrive under all of that. I was answering the phones, answering all the phone lines was no problem. Managing the schedules for the salesmen were no problem. Getting all their bids done was no problem. Backing up the dispatcher was no problem. And so it didn't take very long for them to promote, promote me. And they actually put me in the role of dispatcher. And again, I didn't know anything about running a business. I didn't know anything about profit, loss, maintenance, cost, any of those things. And I was fortunate that the service manager of that organization hated me. <laughs> so every time I made a mistake, he would run to the owner and said, he's doing this wrong, he's doing this wrong, he's doing this wrong, he's doing this wrong. And the owner would call me in and he asked me, you know, what about these things? And, and so only thing I knew what to tell him was, this is what I need to, or in order to do what you're asking me to do. These are the things that I need. So he would begin to give me all the information and begin to help me understand what I was doing within a business context. And all of a sudden it just started thriving. And then I, in the area of service contracts, I found this two folder files full of service contracts that uh, had not been entered into the computer and no one had taken any action on. And I said, why are all these in a box under the desk? And, and the owner said, well, we're $30,000 or $50,000 in the red because no one can seem to manage this. I'm like, I can do this. So I got, I got all the contracts, uh, seven years worth. I put them all in the database and I started calling one customer at a time. Did you realize that we, and I, and I knew enough to say to him, but this says this is a contract. That means you have a commitment that you have to fulfill with these customers. Is that correct? And he said, yeah, well then let's do it. Right. So I started calling all these customers and it went from being 50,000 in the hole to five years later, make annual sales of 500,000 in residential and commercial service contracts. And so, and I know it's kind of a long answer, but I just, this whole process of learning, I realized I went from one job to another and the missing commodity was leadership. Right. That work needed someone with leadership capacity to do the hard work. And so I realized that the military experiences that I had created and fashioned and formed that leadership ability within me. And as the years have gone by, I realized what really what I am, I might be good at dispatching, I might be good at HVAC or whatever, but it's because I'm a leader. Right. So now did you ever 
go back to school or did you just work your way up through through doing it you know from the ground up well i worked my way doing it through the ground up and ended up getting several promotions at different organizations along the way but then in 2010 i became a full-time pastor and i went back and behind me as my bachelor's and my master's on the wall and uh, so i did end up going acquiring an education but that that is secondary to the ojt that's secondary to all sure. so it's not what the course as far as business business you did it kind of your own way you know starting at the bottom and i think that's really good and i think you know that's honorable did people so when you change jobs from you know you said working for that first place and kind of starting as dispatcher starting as an assistant and you changed jobs did not having a degree affect that or was the work experience at that point since somebody did believe in you did, did that was that enough to get that next next gig yeah it was always the work experience because i could explain in real time practical meaningful accurate ways the things i had learned the, how i had resolved problems uh, the things that i had implemented procedurally to create that ongoing success no one did it for me right but you know that's i know uh Weird side note, but the athletic director um, for the Ducks, there was a lot of talk about Pat Kilkenny when he was the athletic director. He was, uh, he didn't finish college, you know, he, but he was a businessman because he quit school because he's like, I'm wasting my time. I could be making money, <laughs> you know? And so I think that there's too much of an onus put. Now there's reasons to criticize that specific one because the requirements to work for the athletic department where you have to have a college degree, it's like written in stone. And yet he didn't. But I think that there needs to be exceptions. I think that requirement needs to be more of like recommendation. You know what I mean? There should always be exceptions because there's people that that show that they have the skill set that, that didn't, you know, do the four years. Maybe they're doing something independently. So uh, I do want to touch on this before we move on from, from that area of it. What are some of the things that you offer? Now, uh, I want to talk about potential leadership workshops. Is that something that as a business consulting organization is real common. Um, if anybody listening isn't familiar, if you work for a corporate job, especially they will be corporate will hire someone like yourself to come in and explain and to teach leadership to their employees. Is that a service that you offer? Yeah. So this, I started this business at the beginning of the year, right before the pandemic hit. So trying to manage this in the midst of economic upheaval has is, is very challenging, but the goal is to offer leadership seminars, leadership coaching, and leadership um, instruction. M my focus, I know a lot of people who do this, Patty, and they charge $1,000 an hour, $1,500 an hour, $500, $750 an hour. I don't do that. Right. I charge $150 an hour because I want to be able, I want people to be able to afford it and I want to be able to help people improve. It's got to cost something. My experience sure, has sure. cost me something. Right. And so the objective is, is to work with people starting with a, a bio. Who are you? I want to know more about you. Begin to look into that bio, where you are, where you started, where you are now. Did you 
what was the road that you travel? What did you learn along the way? Where are you feeling strong? Where are you feeling weak? And then began to come up with practical steps in how to transition to that next level. In the military, you have to do all professional and performance counseling for your soldiers in writing minimum once a month. This was just part of the journey. Right. Right. So this, for me, it's very natural and it's very helpful because as leaders, we were, we were, we were critiqued in writing all the time and it would either advance your career or end your career. Right. So that was, that's just truth. So you have to be prepared to hear things you might not want to hear in the, uh, with the aspect of being critiqued and this in the process of coaching, that's what we're trying to do. Right. And you know, that it, it's hard for people to process sometimes, but definitely is effective when you, when you want somebody to evaluate you, you have to be willing to take a little bit of criticism. You know, that's kind of comes with the territory. So you'd mentioned kind of individuals, individual leadership coaching one-on-one. That's kind of something that you really are passionate about. Explain to me how that process would look if I were interested in using your services, how I would come to you and what I would come to you with, you know, what kind of, yeah. Sure. It would begin with a conversation about what, where you're at uh, currently. Why are, you, why are we having this conversation? What are you interested? What is it you're trying to, to establish in your life, recreate in your life, change direction in your life? What is this pivot point? What is this need that all of a sudden you're aware of something that needs adjustment? And so we would begin with that kind of conversation, trying to gauge, are you really committed to this? Because it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to spend some time, some uh, time looking at yourself, having honest conversations with yourself, letting someone have an honest conversation with you about observation and what they're intuitively discerning and picking up about what you're saying, what your body language is saying, what the tone of voice is saying, uh, what your experiences are telling you. A lot of, I've been speaking to, I've been giving a lot of free coaching away because that's what people tell me I should be doing, right? Sure. Get yourself out there. And I enjoy it. I enjoy helping people. But it, we all need coaching. Believe it or not, we all do. And we don't like to accept the fact that that is a reality. But I have people that coach me. I have paid for coaching. I've been on all forms of professional development, Toastmasters, all of these things uh, to enhance and increase the necessary skills to be effective. There are affordable ways, affordable options, and I know a lot of people want high-end clientele. I'm not interested in it. Right. I want to help people. Right. That's one of the things that I was inspired by and why I wanted to reach out and talk to you. Uh, and let's talk about your podcast a little bit because I, that's the visibility. That's what's getting attention, I'm sure. Uh, so you do – is it weekly, roughly? I mean, is it kind of – is you know, obviously with busy schedules and whatnot, we do them when we can. But do you, do you try to do a weekly show or bi- bi-monthly? Yeah, I try to do a minimum of a weekly show. I I want to address why the podcast, if that's the is a, if that's an expanded point to talk about. You know, I'm a leader. I think you're a leader. Sure. And we have to be able to wade into the areas that need leadership, that need where where people need uh, support and creating dialogue, and addressing difficult issues, giving people the opportunity to talk about things where they're not going to be ambushed and attacked and deliberately harmed. Everyone that I interview with my podcast that is in in accordance with my leadership philosophy is you will not be ambushed. 
No one here is going to, is, there's no intention to harm you. Everything is done in good faith and, and goodwill towards the person that I'm interviewing. We're different. People are different. They have the right to be different. And if we're going to understand one another, create empathy and communication, we have to let people talk. We have to hear what they have to say. And then from there, continue to build these conversations. I want to use the platform of the interviews to create dialogue. I was in the military. I trained and traveled all over the world with people from all walks of life, different religions, different backgrounds. And in the military, not talking is not an option. Right. Not communicating is not an option. You are forced into situations with people from all walks of life and you have to learn to become a team. Yeah. So watching some of the episodes I had mentioned before that there's a lot of crossover between our guests, you know, we've interviewed some of the same people. Uh, you're based in Springfield and uh, you know, I, so am I now uh, I've relocated. I'm from here originally, but I've moved back to Eugene back and forth. It's all the same thing in a lot of ways, but it's cool because one of the things you do and what I also do, I say that I cover stories of the underrepresented. So people that don't get a lot of coverage because there's so much that needs to be said and, and heard from these individuals locally. So one of the things that you've done a lot of is interview candidates for city council and right now with the vacancy in the mayor position in Springfield, which I did a podcast about, city council is at the forefront of what's, what's moving forward. They're going to be choosing their replacement. And they themselves actually in some ways, if not most ways, have more sway than the mayor. You know, really, people don't understand that, that the city council, they really make swift changes. And so that's been kind of cool to see some of the crossover, some of the guests that you've had. Uh, and I need to go back and watch at length. And that's one thing with podcasts. I think your format is is great because it's not, it's time sensitive, sure. But there's also stuff that people can go back later and, and, and look because it's personal experiences of these people that don't get a lot of coverage. So I think that's really cool. How did you start the podcast and what were some of the early challenges? Well, I started, <coughs> excuse me. Well, I started almost immediately once the pandemic hit. I had reserved City Hall to host candidate forums. I ran for City Council here in Springfield around 2005, 2006. And so I remember during that time frame how critical I was. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never run for political office. And I remember how lost I felt. And so immediately I wanted to use this forum to give candidates an opportunity to be interviewed. So I, would, I sent them a list of prepared questions to help them do some background work, do some study work, learn about the budget, learn about the construct of the city, learn about Team Springfield as a building tool and a building mechanism for them to be more undergirded. You know, in case you win the election, you should, there's some working knowledge. Yeah. And so I wanted to not only host candidate interviews, but have an opportunity to have candidate forums, which I've hosted many that go all the way up to the DA, um, because we need to have extended conversations with people and not just your standard, um, let's just say, the, this, these big organizations are going to hold a candidate forum. That's great, but there's a lot of people running for office that need a little bit more development opportunity and a little bit more time to get engaged in the process. Sure. So I began to use this, this platform 
to, to help people do that and let them be heard and take some time to answer some questions. Yeah, some of the uh, smaller uh, positions, people don't even know. People don't know anything about the candidates. And so something that I'm going to do more of moving forward is interview uh, Springfield uh, candidates. They don't get coverage on the local news. I mean, the local news is is not even local. You know, really, it's done. It's an outsourced thing. They, It's just silly and campy. And so there's a lot more of this kind of stuff that's popping up what I do and what you do. I do a lot of different stuff. I don't just cover politics or just cover races, but I definitely have found that they're the ones that get the most buzz that the the episode I did about the mayor had a lot of feedback because there's nobody doing this at length, especially about Springfield. So it's really cool to see that. Uh, You know, how do you, you had said you do forums or you've done some forums and I've, I've clicked through and it's a, it's a pretty lengthy list. You said the DA, I noticed you had done a forum for candidates running for city council. Like I had mentioned before, how do you find um, guests and how, you know, what is the process of reaching out to them and finding them to come on? Well, are we talking about the forum? Or are we talking about things outside of the forum? Uh, the podcast and the forum, when you're doing a forum and you reach out to the group, you know, cause you get multiple candidates or multiple people in the area uh, coordinating that schedule is interesting, but what is the response, I guess, to be more thorough with the question, what is the response when you reach out and you say, this is what I'd like to do. This is my vision. Are you interested? Well, initially I got great responses. Some people did ask, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? And I, and I would explain. So I, I was able to host multiple forums from the County commissioner to city council to the DA uh, multiple forums that uh, because I, I'm involved as far as intellectually involved or emotionally involved with the politics, I read, okay, I look at the issue, I look at what's being communicated in the community, I work in the business community. There's a lot of things that are very, very important. I'm on the board of directors for the Chamber of Commerce, so we here in Springfield. So there's a lot of issues that come through that we read, we study, we participate in. And so I have a lot of things that are significantly important to me that we maintain a strong economy. Right. So, uh, so I just have all these areas of interest. And so I just start reaching out to people and more often than not, they are very uh, willing to participate because most people want to tell their story, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what I found as well. You know, one of the cool things about the guests that we get that don't get a lot of exposure is that they're not flooded with email. So it doesn't get buried because they're doing their normal business stuff. But when you come to them with an opportunity to, like you just said, share their story, they're really, really willing to do it because they don't get asked a ton. A lot of the the examples. Uh, so now you cover, like we said, politics and then social issues. I wanted to touch on. You did an, an interview with Black Unity, and I did an. Inter- I've done multiple interviews with different areas. Isaiah Wagner, uh, Trace Stewart, the streamer of a lot of the local stuff, uh, and there was a lot of negative feedback. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about that. Now your whole goal when you do these, if I'm not if mistaken, I know mine is to just give people a platform. Now we don't have to agree on everything. That's not, that's not the point. You know, it's about hearing people out so that we can come to an understanding so that we can work together. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. You know, there's an age difference between you and I, Patty, I'm 56. Right. So my parents went through the civil rights movement here in this nation. My father served in a segregated military in the Korean war I grew up in a time where 
I'm seeing things that I saw in my childhood come back to life. Right. And I'm worried. Me too. And I guess, so my question is, is what do you do with the negative feedback? For me, it was really a test of my, it was a test of my guts. And if I really had it in me after doing the episode with Trey Stewart, I, I received quite a few emails and, you know, I showed my bias. I showed that I supported the cause, but at the same time, I mean, I, I don't have to be all in on anything. There's no human being in this world outside of my family that I'm a hundred percent all in on, you know, you know, and even with my family will butt heads, but I love them unconditionally, you know, but what do you do with the negative feedback when you receive that? I mean, you kind of expect it a little bit with some topics, but. Yeah, you do expect it a little bit. And I did get some from after the black unity. I mean, immediately people unliked my Facebook page. That was one of the first indicators, you know, said several unlikes. And then it, it wasn't till about 48 hours later where I started getting a lot of really vile messages from people. Yeah. And so I, to, to those that sent me those messages, I did respond to each and every one of them. And I did give all of them my cell phone number and I asked them to call me so that we could have a conversation about the importance of that uh, particular interview why I'm doing these interviews, because we need to have dialogue. We, I want peace in my city, our city. I don't, I don't want to see anyone get hurt or harmed for any reason in this city. And I believe that we can create venues and platforms and opportunities to have the necessary dialogue, that we can understand one another better and be more empathetic and say, let's, okay, let's sit down and talk about this, because obviously this is happening. Yeah, these protests are happening. Let's talk about it and let's create that platform. So with the mail, it was hard. It hurt. Yeah, it hurt. It's it hurt because it, honestly, every one of those people I know. Oh, was it personal people that were that? You mean the guests or the people that were criticizing it? Or the people that were criticizing me. Wow, you know, and I want anybody listening to go check it out that episode because it was was really good i mean it was really thought provoking it was really deep detailed i don't know how long it was but it was a lengthy conversation two hours yeah and so normal normal podcasts for me and you tend to stick around an hour so it was double that and i thought it was great i haven't watched the entire thing i'm not gonna lie but you know just just giving people an opportunity to speak and be heard it doesn't mean just because you give somebody a microphone that now that's your views whatever mm -hmm. they say on it you know but i th i think that's really admirable though that the people that do have criticisms that you were willing to reach out to them for me i'm i'm like you know because i i don't have time to just sit and, and converse with everybody now down the road depending on the direction i go maybe that will be something i will open up to if i get into local government to an extent where you actually do need to represent everybody that's fine i'm just trying to grow my platform and and whatnot now and i don't have time there's people that were criticizing stuff that i wasn't going to even address what they said you know but it's difficult. So, you know, those are the rare ones, the ones that get negative feedback. Uh, I know that you've received a lot of positive feedback. And so I want to touch on that as well. Uh, what was one of the unintended positive consequences of the podcast that you've seen since you started it? I can't tell the amount of, of individuals who contacted me and said, I never even considered what they were saying. And now I understand. Right. And you're still speaking on Black Lives Matter or Black just Lives or Black Lives. Unity? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, I've, I've felt a similar thing 
doing an episode about DACA with a good friend of mine who I had no idea he was even a dreamer because he grew up here, went to South, and then we were talking about it. And that was quite a while ago. But we had a really human conversation. And the cool thing about, I don't want to say you when you do your own show, you get to control the narrative. You do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But I'm not trying to say it's like completely agenda-based driven. It's, it's human driven. It's driven by reality of our experiences, you know, so... That's cool. No, but just in general, after starting the podcast, what are some of the the positive things that you've uh, heard and you know learned from from doing it? From because you have a wide, diverse range of people that you interview. Well, let's talk about that. You know, why why do I have a wide range? Okay, so I'm the youngest of seven kids. Uh, my father was retired military. He died when I was seven. He was 39. He had a heart attack at home, died of a, had a stroke. He fell at the hospital and ended up dying. Three years later, my mother drowned. I was 10. She was 40. Her and my aunt drowned together in flash flooding. I grew up in different homes, lived with all kinds of abuse, had a full ride to college, had a full scholarship, but I was so traumatized by my childhood. I had to drop out of school and struggled with drugs and alcohol and then joined the army and went through that trauma of military life. I mean, military life is traumatic. Sure. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of death. There's a, there's a lot of alcohol and drug abuse. There's a lot of racism in the military for lots of different reasons. It's People may enter with noble intent, but those are realities you didn't even know were there until you joined. Sure. And so through all those years of my own struggle, and here I am an adult, I'm 56 now, let's, you know, live, so went through a divorce and all these other kinds of things, people are hurting. And so I'm trying to use the platform. That's why I did a three-part series with the Center for Community Counseling, because I know people are hurting. And I was a pastor for all those years, and I spent all those times in the, all uh, twice a week doing chapel services in the jails down in Texas, four to six hours a day, hearing people's stories, hearing their pain, uh, helping people bury their kids, you know, all kinds of things. And people need help. Patty. Right. Yeah. We need help. Absolutely. So yeah. we're, we're in a position to do something about it. You and I. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was really, was, I didn't know what was going to happen with the podcast. I just wanted to do it. I've always wanted to do talk radio. I grew up listening to talk radio, my parents, both parents, and they were divorced. So they listened to completely different styles of talk radio, which I appreciate both. You know, I tend to have guests that are more progressive politically uh, if it's a political episode, there's there's episodes that have nothing to do with politics at all, you know, but and and I'd like to have people with differing views. I'm selective on it because the only time I book a guest is if it's somebody that I admire. You know, I haven't had I'm not going to have guests on that. I just because they have a strong crass opinion. That's just not going to work for me. It's got to be somebody that I admire, you know, because I'm not going to waste my time because it's building friendships and networking for me. So that's something that that, you know. It's, I'm a little selective when it comes to that. And I'm, I've noticed as well, you can tell any interview you've done, it's the same thing. You know, you look them, I mean, even though it's through Zoom, you look them in the eyes, you say, you know, you can tell that you have an admiration for those people or at least a willingness to hear them out. Now, social issues and leadership. You had just kind of mentioned your personal story, which I want to thank you for sharing a little tidbit of. Uh, it's pretty obvious that with leadership, you almost had no choice. You know, you had to take it upon yourself and that's pretty inspiring because that's a very American story, bootstraps kind of thing where, you know, it's pretty, pretty difficult uh, what you just described. 
uh, one of the things I, I mention a lot in, in social situations and, and the lack of leadership that we have on the national level, especially, is leadership is the ability to call out those that you agree with. Would you agree with that? I think leadership is having the ability to having the willingness because courage isn't always there. Courage is not always there, but you have to have the willingness as a leader to engage in conversations that are absolutely required. And that's what I'm trying to do. We have a void right now. And I've been very, I've made my, I've expressed this to, to the city leadership. So I'm not going to say anything to you that I haven't already said. We are void of leadership around the things that have happened here. No one's talking about it. No one. It's like everyone is scared and it's okay for us to be scared as leaders. It's okay for us to fail. It's okay for us to say, I don't really know what to do. I don't really know the next steps, but we have to begin to move forward regardless of that. And so what I believe that I'm able to do and what you're able to do with your uh, platform is to help bridge those gaps. I don't agree with everything everyone says, just like you don't. Right. But I can be respectful, genuinely respectful, genuinely civil, genuinely thoughtful, and give general admiration, even if we're different, for the hard work that individual is doing. Right. You know, I mean, there's things that I don't have, I have strong conviction in my views, but there's things that I don't have enough knowledge or information on that I have such a strong view that it can't be persuaded to be changed. You know, and that's one of the things that we see currently in the landscape where people are like, they just know how they feel or they take a side and then they're like, oh, if I criticize something that my, maybe my side is doing, how are my, how's my side going to react? And so sometimes I think the fear isn't disrupting people that they want to change their views. It's disrupting people they agree with because people are so afraid to rock the boat and it's bad. And you talked about local leadership, you know, some of the mayor position, for example, the, the resignation now with uh, Christine Lundberg, we now find out why she resigned and we're not going to get into that, but you know, with Isaiah Wagner going to her house and having her come out and speak. And I think that it was good that she did that. Why wasn't there a statement before that? Why is it that when something crazy is happening and what responsibility does the local government have like a mayor? I mean, they have a huge role, which is an unpaid position, which is insane. We need to find ways to change that. We all need to, you know, figure out a way to compensate them so that we have people that are actually doing an adequate job and not, not a ton, but enough, you know, enough to make it worthwhile. But, you know, you see in big cities like uh, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, for example, in Atlanta, in a size, in a city that size, you have to have that presentation. You have to have press conferences. Do you think that that's something locally that we could see from a mayor that was more accessible? You know, I mean, it's something we need. Yeah, first things first, let me say that in order for the city council and mayor to receive compensation, there have to be an amendment to the city charter. Right. That's what that would take. So from a, the technical uh, aspect that that is where that conversation would begin. Uh, secondarily, absolutely, I agree. I appreciate Mayor Lumberg coming out, out out of her home. I thought she did a very good job in trying I agree. to respond and answer. And you have to give her a lot of credit uh, for her willingness to do so. But uh, I also believe that there was, it should not have required that. 
It should not have, uh, it should not have, we get mad. People get mad because protesters come to their home. They come to their home because they want to be heard. They want to come home because they want some engagement, some legitimate recognized engagement. They want to be recognized as what I have to say is, is important. And I believe that we should be having those kinds of interviews here, those kind, that kind of dialogue, those kind of uh, assurances by our leadership. We hear you. Uh, we want to know what you have to say. We don't have the answers to fix it all right now, but together we will. Together we'll come to these conclusions. Together we'll come to, we'll work to create the necessary policy changes or policy implementation to create the venues, the platforms that are necessary uh, to address these concerns. And that's what's not happening. This is why we have all these protest groups, not just black unity leaders. I mean, there is the other side, there's, uh, Oregon Coalition, We the People, the Patriots, the Three Percenters, and then the other side, there's Black Unity, Black Liberation, Black Lives Matter, ADOS. We have a lot of people with different opinions and different views, but I have spoken to leaders in the Patriot, Patriots, I've spoken to leaders in We the People, and they are as passionate about their value-based convictions as the other side. Yeah. If we don't create that dialogue, because they're so passionate, it can it can um, ignite quickly. Yeah. And so, uh, and maybe that might be too much of an answer, but yes, this is why leadership has to begin having these conversations and creating platforms. And I feel like I can do that. Yes. Yeah. I I was in the military. People from all over the world. I'm not scared to have conversations with people that look different than me then talk different than me, then sound different than me, that have a different religion than me, that have a different background than I do. It doesn't intimidate me. Right. So I'm trying to use that skill set to make a positive, constructive, helpful difference for our sake. Yeah. You know, and, and we were talking about the protests. It's really frustrating in Thurston what happened. And what's more frustrating is that in the week leading up to that, I think that was a Thursday, Okay, like on a Tuesday or maybe I don't remember the exact day of the week. It doesn't matter. I was watching a live stream that took place on the steps of the Springfield Library, the old Springfield Library, right downtown. And Black Unity was there with the banner and they were speaking and there was counter protesters there. And Black Unity walked across the street and said, hey, would you guys like to have some time on the mic? And they came over and this is leadership, in my opinion. And they came over and they let they took turns speaking and kind of explaining it. And what, what I was watching was really promising. This is before the, the Thurston situation got ugly. And so it looked really promising because you had people from, we'll just say all lives matter counter protesters that they were kind of explaining their take on some of the, the approaches and whatnot. And then they were explaining what they did see in, in some forms of systematic oppression. And so conceding, some areas that maybe their side, you know, is, is clenching so much. Cause they're like, I'm not willing to budge. And it was so promising. And I shared the post and I was like, this is what we need more of. And then a couple days later, the protest, and it started out with conversations. I watched almost the entire feed that night. I won't go to them because of the pandemic. That's my personal opinion. That's just me. But I was really saddened to see the way that it ended. In my opinion, it ended because of, an escalation from the police, a co uh, 
the the police are colluding with a certain group. I mean, it's like there's counter protesters there that are armed that are, you know, on one side of the barrier and that's acceptable. And this is where leadership with the mayor, I wonder what they're, what they can say because there's going to be lawsuits. So when they go out and they make statements, I worry that, you know, they could get themselves in legal jeopardy by, by making a comment because what's happening is unjust. So it's difficult, but I was really, I was really worried seeing that because we had made so much progress and I thought what was happening in Eugene and Springfield and especially Springfield, it's hard to, hard to think now because of the certain, the, the current landscape and the divide, but we were making progress. Did you see any of those that I'm talking about? The, the footage of the, the feed where people were taking turns? Yes, I did watch uh, quite a bit of that. And that, that was a lot of progress and it, what, there is a lot of, uh, there was a lot of hope in that, but this is why we have to continue to create create dialogue. And this is part of my complaint that w- where was the elected leadership? We've elected them to lead, right? And I'm I suspect that what you're saying is true. People are are scared of saying the wrong thing, and they're afraid of a lawsuit, so they don't want to be present. And I disagree with that paradigm. I disagree that you should be more concerned about self-preservation as an elected official. You should be there listening to both sides, addressing, uh, listening, addressing, or if, and if you can't say anything other than we hear both sides, we want to work with both sides, both sides of the argument, right, and come to a, a place of agreement. You don't have to say you're right and you're wrong and you're right and you're wrong as an elected official, but you can acknowledge what they're being said, what the individuals are saying is legitimate and how you want to work with them uh, to facilitate that place of agreement. Yeah. It's tough because with, with elected official locally, especially there's so much that you have to be aware of and has to be on your radar. So many different issues. And then any type of protest that you're going to come and maybe speak at, the people that are there on either side of the debate are extremely passionate about whatever issue they're talking about. <laughs> so when you come and they're more prepared than you are, cause that's their main focus in life. That's where it's difficult because people expect an elected official on a local level in doing it volunteer, basically getting small stipends monthly to cover their phone and parking, <laughs> you know, they expect those people to be super versed on all these complex social issues. And that's really difficult. And so that I understand that perspective as well. Now the people that do it, even if it falls flat, sometimes I think they need to be given some credit an example on a federal level and someone that that Marco Rubio, when he met with the high school students after the Parkland shooting, I'm going to give him credit and I'm using a Republican as an example because it's, obvious that I'm progressive. I talk about it constantly, but he went and talked to those victims of the the shooting and he heard them out. That was leadership. (laughs) You know what I mean? In my mind, because, and he said things in a crowded room that people wouldn't, didn't like, you know, and he, he talked about the the difficulty of government and uh, that's the frustrating thing. People want change immediately. And I don't think people understand that in some ways, immediate change is a dangerous thing because that opens up the door for other things to have immediately changed. Now we need change in the policing and in qualified immunity and all these different things. But yeah, it's going to be a difficult thing. Now leadership uh, with a social platform, I want to talk to you and get your take on the NBA. So the NBA players have made massive headlines for using their platform. What do you think about 
people that are entertainers that may not have a political background using their platform for change. Is this not America? <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, isn't this the premise of everything that was argued from the time in memoriam from when it was being first being created, standing up, speaking up. I mean, did not the American revolution begin with the Boston tea party and violently overthrowing what was taking place in that, in that era of time. I watched for the first time, I had never seen videos or pictures, photos of what America was like when they desegregated schools and the amount of rioting and violence. It's, it's been part of the expressed form of legitimized protest. Why wouldn't, what's wrong with a, a peaceful, quiet protest of an NBA team or NBA players making the decision to not either practice or play because this is something that's really important to them. I, right. I don't understand. I don't understand. So they protest peacefully we get mad. People protest loudly, we get mad. So which is it? Right. One of the things that the NBA players were able to accomplish that I read about is that they, I don't like calling it a boycott. I'm going to call it a strike. That they were striking against social injustice. And one of the things that they were able to accomplish that I read about yesterday was that they pushed the owners to use their arenas for as voting stations as polling stations and i thought that this is incredible this is democracy at work because it, you know the situation with the pandemic if we're going to have in-person voting which there's obviously an assault against the postal service so mail-in voting in places where it's never been enacted is going to be very hard to organize so if there's going to have to be a need for in-person voting we're going to have to have social distancing we're going to have to have safe measures and we're going to have to have volunteers that are not just the elderly crowd. That's who's been volunteering in the past. So if you're listening and you're young and you're, you're motivated politically, volunteer to help at the polling stations. But the NBA players used their platform and they made change in a day mm -hmm. and they rose this thing. I and mean, that was one of the agreements. And I thought, I thought that was incredible. You know, I thought that was a huge statement and, and these people that are criticizing these players hate to break it to him, but we're going to see President LeBron James one day. And, and I know that's a bold thing, and it's my prediction, but if, if he's not qualified, I don't know who is, because he started from nothing. He had leadership from coaches. He had leadership from, from you know, not having a father in his home, and that's been the big knock on this is a new trope that's being thrown out there where they talk about, Oh, it's the, it's the breaking down of the nuclear family. I had a guy tell me on social media, he asked me when I, I criticized something that he had posted that was super sexist on a friend's page. And he asked talking about how women need to just use their place, you know, be in their place. And he asked me, what's your relationship like with your mother? And I'm like, what does this have to do? Come on now, dude. Like, I don't know you, you know, and I think Facebook, we need to get back to the, I don't know you. You know, this is, this is a psychoanalyzation that you're trying to attempt to make your agenda. That's not out of kindness. That's not out of compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that was difficult. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. I, I appreciate you doing this. This is really cool. So now let's explain to people how they can find your stuff. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to your Facebook page. Is that the primary? Do you have a website yet? Not, no, not yet. You know, I started this, this opportunity with a shoestring budget. 
and still operating on a shoestring budget and everything costs money. You know, oh, yeah. I've, I've had other professionals say, you know, you're just, your Facebook page isn't professional enough for me. I can't like it. You know, you just don't, you don't have all this pedigree. I really don't, not interested in what you do. And, it, and it's cool because I know who I don't want to do business with too. Sure. It's people like that. It's not about presentation. It's about character. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So the Facebook page, I will put the link in the show notes. It's um, Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. I'll also tag your personal page just to kind of reach, you know, different audience. I appreciate you talking to me today. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, building a, a more of a friendship with you as well. There's a lot of resources that I can tap you for that I can, that I, I know that you've, you've put in a lot of legwork behind the scenes in local Springfield government, uh, even just running for office, learning from that, uh, you know, bumping elbows with some of the people. I think it's really great that you're doing that. Uh, I don't know if it's from you, but I've been kind of coordinating with Sean Van Gordon on city council about doing some different things. It's an honor to me that I have people that are on sitting city council, reaching out to me behind the scenes, asking me to do episodes that means that what I'm doing is working. What you're doing is working. I'm sure you've had the same thing. People reaching out. I want to be a guest on your show instead of you begging them to come on. That's a really great feeling. Uh, one thing I do have to do is, is mention my title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro on YouTube. Without Oregon Cashflow Pro, I wouldn't be where I'm at with this podcast because he believed in me and he came to me early on and said, I want to sponsor your show. And, you know, gave me a small amount of money every month, but it's enough for me to justify continuing to do this through when I was questioning. There was a few times where I hit a wall and I'm like, I don't know. But then I was like, well, I don't want to stop getting that sponsorship. And then, so he believed in me. So what James Barber does of Oregon Cashflow Pro is he gives free money management advice to help you maximize your cash flow. And now he's doing live videos on YouTube, which I encourage anybody to check out because they're really cool. And so be sure to subscribe to Oregon Cashflow Pro on YouTube. And the link will be in the show notes for that. So I'll put the link for your Facebook page in the show notes. I encourage anyone listening to go watch your interviews. There's some really good ones. The, the Black Unity one is exceptional. I think it's second to none locally. I, as far as the coverage that I've seen, I've watched a few and I won't say names that I thought were very, oh gosh, they, they wanted to interview them, but they didn't want to hear them. You know, and so I think you did a really good job from what I had seen and nice kids that were young adults that were talking to you. You know, it's, it's cool to hear their perspective. And these kids are inspiring because they're extremely motivated. And if you actually sit down and talk to them, there's a lot more going on than people give them credit. It's, it's insane. I mean, young people are extremely motivated politically right now. So that's really cool. Yeah, I have uh, the Spring, uh, Springfield Police Department will be coming on next week, Chief Lewis and two of his lieutenants. We'll have a conversation with them. Uh, I've already interviewed the sheriff, and I'll be interviewing another one of his leadership team soon. And then we, the people, will be coming on the, to be interviewed as well, some of their leadership. Is that we, the pe people, is the, uh, like the re recall Kate Brown group, or is it the group that's... You don't know I, yet. I, I, I don't know. I met them through the, this, all the counter protest. Okay, sure. Okay, I got you. Well, that's good. That's good to hear different perspectives. I'll definitely tune into that, and that one will get a lot of attention, and you'll get a lot of negative feedback. And again, you know, that's not that's that's a side effect. But that's the the thing is, is at least you're doing. I don't want to say both sides because these issues to me aren't aren't sided when it comes to human rights, but. But that's good, you know, having the having people have their opportunity to speak.
Well, you know, Patty, why are we doing this if we're not trying to help? Right. This is that. That's my perspective. Why am I doing this if I'm not trying to help? I don't want to see anyone hurt or harmed permanently in the streets of this city. Yeah. And it's scary because right now it's a very legit fear. You know, we saw what happened in Wisconsin. We see people cheering on someone, taking someone's life. I think it needs to be drilled home. It's like just because somebody is dealing with the police doesn't mean that the police get to kill. I don't care what their record was before. The police aren't the ones that make that decision. That's the justice, the court system. And we can talk about prison reform, but that's a different issue. That's not the cop's job, you know? But then who is this individual, this 17-year-old kid that, gets, that just decides to go across state lines armed? And then, you know, people are like, well, it's self-defense. I'm like, whoa, buddy. Like, you don't get to just decide. If it's a dangerous situation, maybe you should keep yourself out of it and keep, let the cops do their job. And, you know, I think the people's criticism is that nobody's against the cops. Nobody's against police. We're against the fact that they only represent some people and not even most at this point. It's some. It's really scary. So, yeah, the fear of danger and violence in our, in our town, we've seen it already. And my fear is from November, basically from now until, like, not just January, February, we're going to see violence every day. Uh, yeah, in the city. I mean, in the nation, absolutely. And absolutely. Just, and I'd like to just say uh, one of the things that Chief Lewis, so you know, so your listeners know that he did do, is he did call a meeting with some of those that were showing up armed, and he asked them not to show up. Yeah, that's good. Because SPD did not need their help. They did not uh, want them there because it's inciting even more. It, it incites the the tensions further. I mean, look. I'm not opposed to Second Amendment. I'm not opposed to open carry or any of that. I'm a former soldier, you know. As long as they're disciplined and controlled just as much with their response because they have lethal means, right? Whoever whoever it is on whatever side is carrying a weapon, you have lethal capacity. And you better have a right state of mind and the right kind of training to not take it upon yourself to make the decision, today I'm ending your life because... Totally. And I want to... I mean, I'm... The cops in Springfield don't get enough credit. You know, there's some situations that have gone bad and things that have happened. And I'm not downplaying any of that. You know, we talked about there was the biggest lawsuit against the Springfield Police Department for a wrongful loss of life. But recently, but that being said, these are human beings. A lot of the people on the force are great people, you know, are great people that want, that actually support some of the protesters even using their voice i mean that's like you said before it's as american as apple pie you know you know it's the the protests so i mean it's just a difficult thing you don't have to be pro cop or pro protester you can actually see see how things need to change by the actions of both groups you know so i don't know it's a difficult nuanced conversation but Mark Molina, it's really great to get to talk to you. We've never talked in person, so this is the first time. Uh, I'd like to be a guest on your show at some point, so that'd be really fun. Uh, it's kind of cool to have the the tables turned and be the interviewee every once in a while. Uh, well, thank you very much for talking to me. Again, if you're listening, go check out Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, you know, we didn't get to talk about I was going to talk about how you came to Oregon. Maybe we'll do that at a later date. I want to say 
uh, rest in rest in peace, uh, Blazers fans. We lost a legend today, Clifford Robinson, Uncle Cliffy. He was my favorite player as a little kid, and I woke up this morning to read at a young age. I mean, he was in his fifties, and he passed away. So you know, my condolences to the family of Cliff Robinson, which is the entire Oregon, Portland, Oregon based fan base as well. So. Thank you, Mark. It was really cool talking to you. I chose a song that's a little bit more snarky than your approach when it comes to leadership, but it's, uh, I thought it was fitting for the content. It's called Lead or Get Out of the Way. <laughs> and so I thought it would work. Uh, thanks for doing this. It was really nice talking to you. It was great to talk to you. And uh, thank you for all of your hard work and for the efforts that you're making to facilitate conversation as well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You take care. Madness as violence brings sadness Remain us away the fate we are forced to create Chaos breeds madness as violence brings sadness Remain us away the fate we are forced to create It's scary television can blind even the stars We celebrate lives of decorators behind bars For positioning money glorified by the honest approach Keep your silence, your violence dies like a roach Ever present is the of I can't afford it Education is a tool, a weapon Face the facts, explore it I put one foot in front of the next To reverse the curse and lift the hex I went walking, talking myself deaf I ask if it lasts I've wasted my breath I went walking, talking myself deaf I ask if it lasts I've wasted my breath Shouldn't it be?